This is a weekend about remembering. We remember those uh, who made the ultimate sacrifice for our country. And when we remember, we honor those who sacrificed for us. When we remember, we stand with the families of those who made the ultimate sacrifice. And when we remember, we appreciate the freedoms we have. Remembering is powerful. If you have your Bibles, uh, please open them to Jeremiah chapter 31. Uh, We'll be reading verses 31 to 34. If you borrowed one of our Bibles, I'll make it easy on you. It begins on page 644. Uh, This passage, uh, or the passage this morning, it's not about remembering. Rather, it's about what God doesn't remember. Because just as remembering can be powerful, so can forgetting. Our scripture reader this morning is Steve Wills. I'm going to ask Steve to go ahead and make his way on up uh, to the podium here. And as he does so, I'm going to ask all of you who are able to please stand and face the center of the room. And we stand because we believe that this is the word of God. And we read from the center of the room as a reminder to us that scripture should be central both in our lives as individuals and as a community of faith. And so, Steve, whenever you're ready, please read from Jeremiah chapter 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Steve, thank you very much. You may be seated. Jeremiah, he's an Old Testament prophet, and uh, the Old Testament prophets, quite honestly, they're hard to keep track of. Um, It's hard to keep track of things like when they lived or what were the circumstances going on, uh, those kinds of details. Jeremiah, he prophesied about 600 years before Jesus during the rise of the kingdom called Babylon. 600 years during the rise of, 600 years before Jesus during the rise of Babylon. Now Israel, at that time, they had already split into two kingdoms. There was a kingdom in the north and there was a kingdom in the south. Uh, The northern kingdom in the blue on the screen there, they were called Israel. The southern kingdom in the yellow, they were called Judah. And both of the kingdoms were always under some kind of threat of whoever the superpower of the day was. Uh, One of those superpowers, the Assyrians, they conquered the northern kingdom. And then sometime later, another superpower, the Babylonians, they conquered the southern kingdom. And the time from Babylon rising to become a superpower to the fall of Jerusalem, all of that is about 40 years. And it's during that 40 years 
as Babylon rises to power and eventually conquers Jerusalem, it's those 40 years that Jeremiah was a prophet in Jerusalem for the southern kingdom of Judah. It was a time of great uncertainty. It was also a time of great unfaithfulness to God. And a lot of Jeremiah's prophecies are doom and gloom kind of prophecies. He warns the people of Jerusalem that because of their unfaithfulness to God, the Babylonians are coming for them, and they're going to conquer them. However, the passage that we just read this morning, just heard this morning, it really is not a passage of doom and gloom. Jeremiah tells of a time when God will no longer remember their sins. He will no longer remember their sins. You see, memories, memories stick with us. That's the nature of memories. They stick with us. Uh, memories are powerful. There is a reason why we, we remember some things and forget other things. There's a reason why some memories stick with us. Um, we're going to have a little bit of a discussion sharing time. I'm just going to forewarn you here a little bit. I'm going to ask you to share with the people around you. And like, I'm going to give you the question. I'm going to buy you some time to think about what your answer is going to be. The question is, what is one of the, your most favorite Christmas gifts you ever received? What is one of your most favorite Christmas gifts you've ever received? I'm going to buy you some time here. I'm going, to tell, I'm going to go first. And while I'm going, you need to think of what you're going to share in a moment. Okay? Um, Shannon and I, we'd been dating for a little over a year. And we lived in Southern California. And for Christmas, her parents bought us passes to Disneyland. Year passes uh, to Disneyland. Now, this was the early 90s, so a year pass to Disneyland was like 100 bucks. Uh, today, you can't even buy a day pass uh, for that, but it was really cool. And so we went on a lot of dates to Disneyland. Okay, so share with the people around you, move around if you need to. What is one of your most favorite Christmas gifts you ever received? And go. <laughs> means you have to share now. That's what go means. Favorite Christmas gift? Okay, you don't have to share all 12 days of Christmas, just one is great. Just, you don't have to share one, it's great. Now look, no matter how long ago it was, you can remember the gift because of the impact that gift made on you. Um, it, for my, in my example, Shannon and I, we would end up spending a lot of time at Disneyland. We made a lot of memories there. In fact, when I asked her to marry me, I proposed at Disneyland. It was on the Mark Twain Riverboat ride. Yeah. Is either that or Space Mountain. I wasn't sure. It was going to be one of those two. So uh, we've taken our kids there many times. We have lots of family memories. So of course, I remember that gift. It's stuck 
with me. And whatever your answer was, it stuck with you for a reason. In fact, the phrase, memories stick with us, is super appropriate in this context, uh, because if you have your Bibles still open to Jeremiah 31, and you look in verse 34, where it says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more, The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word that gets translated, remember, it's a word called zakar, Z-A-K-A-R. And remember, zakar comes from an idea of being pricked by a thorn. The origin of the word zakar lies in the idea of being pricked or pierced, like pricked by a thorn or pierced by a needle. And if you think about it, that word association, that makes a lot of sense. Because if you're going to trim roses and you are not careful, you will be reminded they have thorns. Ouch. Oh, yeah, they have thorns. Roses have thorns. Or if you are pinning a boutonniere on someone and you are not careful, you will be reminded that, ouch. Oh, yeah, that's right. That pin is sharp. Or if you are around bees and you are not careful, you will be reminded that they sting. Ouch, oh yeah, that's right, bees sting. The pricking of of the thorn or of the pin or of the stinger, it reminds us. Those experiences literally pierce us. And that's what memories do. They pierce us. They stick with us. Memories stay with us because of their impact. They stay with us because of their impact. Again, a long time ago, Shannon and I, again, when we were dating, we've been married for 22 and a half years, so that gives you an idea of how long ago this story is. I was golfing with Shannon's dad. His name's Norm. And um, if you're a golfer and you've been golfing for any amount of time, you have a golf story, at least one. Um, neither of us at the time, well, I'm still not, we weren't great golfers, um, and we were on a hole where on your second shot you had to hit over a pond. And fortunately, I got my shot over the water the first time. Um, Norm was not so lucky. Uh, Norm hit his ball, it was a low line drive that skimmed across the water, it hits the bank of the water on the other, or the pond on the other side, and it falls back into the water. And so, you know, now Norm, you know, he's a little upset. And so he has another ball, he throws it down, and he hits that one. Well, that one just lands right in the middle of the pond. Well, now he's really upset, uh, and I'm trying not to laugh, but I'm kind of laughing. And um, so he's got to go back to his bag, get another ball. So he does that, opens his bag, grabs another ball, throws it to the ground, because now he's pretty frustrated, and he hits it. And it's another low-lying drive that skims across the water, hits the bank again, and falls back into the water. There's an important detail I haven't shared with you. There were ducks on the pond. And so after that third shot, so his club goes up in the air. I'm now in total laughter. It's really funny. But as as the club is lining on the ground and I'm in my laughter, we see one of the ducks do this. Yeah, it was kind of sad, but we thought it was hilarious. I'm sorry. That's really not very pastoral of me, but, but we were dying because he killed the duck. He killed the duck. Couldn't believe it. Uh, he didn't have a hunting license, nothing. He just killed the duck. And I've been golfing hundreds of times. 
And I will never, ever forget that. Why? Because it was so amazing. It was so amazing. It made an impact. Just a side note. A couple years ago, his daughter, my wife, was golfing out in Buell. And, you know, they have some elevated tees out there. And she hit a really nice drive off the tee, hit a dove in the air. Both the dove and the ball landed on the ground. She took a picture of it. It runs in the family. Just want to let you know that. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 12:11 says, The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. What Ecclesiastes 12 is trying to drive home, what it wants you to do, is it wants you to remember the words of the wise. Because when you remember them, they will goad you. They will be firmly embedded in you. Again, that's what memories do. Now, when I read this passage, I didn't know what a goad was. And so I looked it up. Here's a picture of a goad. A goad was used to get oxen to move. So the pointy end gets the oxen moving forward, and the hook is used to control the direction or to get them to stop. So the words of the wise, if you remember them, if you commit them to memory, they are like goads. Now maybe a more familiar image for us, rather than a goad, might be something like a spur. You know, spurs on boots are not just there for looks, they do actually serve a purpose. When you ride a horse, spurs are designed to get the horse moving. As the saying goes, to be spurred into action. That's what the words of the wise are supposed to do if you remember them. To goad or to spur you into action. And if you commit them to memory, their collected sayings are like firmly embedded nails. Ecclesiastes is telling us that the words of the wise should be memorized. And when they are memorized, they are embedded in us like these nails. And if they are, they will goad us. They will spur us into action. That's what all of our memories do. The Old Testament understanding of memories, firmly embedded nails, that the impact they make, it pierces us deeply. When I was a busboy in high school, I had a tray full of water glasses, and I was bringing them to a table, and I spilled two of them on the table, and water got all over this little kid, and I felt so bad. To this day, if I have a tray full of stuff or I'm carrying a bunch of glasses, I'm extra careful. I remember that. When I was in college, the provost of the college was presenting me an award. And when he was introducing me, he said, what I like best about Chuck is he always has a smile on his face. To this day, there's a good chance when I greet you, I will smile at you when I do. I remember that. I remember those things all the way from high school, all the way from college. Our memories are deeply embedded nails. They goad us and they spur us. They prick us like thorns. Memories stick with us. And our sins, like 
our memories, they pierce God. The passage isn't talking about what we remember. It's talking about God. If you look back in your Bibles to the passage for this morning, in verses 31 and 32, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. If you read that passage right, you can hear a hint of sadness. They broke my covenant, even though I was a husband to them. We believe that God is all-powerful. And sometimes we think that means that nothing can get to God. But like, a big, like big, strong people who have a soft heart, you know, the people we call big teddy bears, God is not immune to grieving. Now, I'm not sure what it looks like for an all-powerful God to be sad, and I doubt it looks like us when we're down or sad. But it's not uncommon for the Bible to describe God that way. Isaiah 63 says, In all their distress, he too was distressed, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his, mercy, in his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Again, I'm not sure what it means for God to be distressed or for God to be grieved. And I'm sure it's not the same as, as we experience distress and grief. But our rebellion grieves God's Holy Spirit. And in both of these passages, it seems, that, it seems as if God is remembering. Remembering the past. And again, theologically this creates some problems because theologically God is outside of time. God doesn't experience time like we experience time. So I'm not sure what it means for God to remember the past, but somehow, some way, just as our memories prick us and pierce us and are embedded in us, our sins do that to God. And just as our memories goad us and spur us, our sins do that to God. They can grieve God. They can make God angry. Our sins pierce God. But God doesn't remember our sins because they now pierce the cross. God doesn't remember our sins because they now pierce the cross. If you look back in your Bibles to the passage for this morning in verses 33 and 34, where it says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. God envisions a time where his law will be on our hearts, a time when we are his people, from the least of us to the greatest of us. 
We will all know God, and God will remember our sins no more. And what does it mean for God to remember our sins no more? Well, remember the word zakar, being pricked like a thorn or pierced, just as memories are embedded like nails and goad and spur us. Our sins are embedded like nails and goad and spur God. It's like our sins prick and pierce God. What does God do about that? Well, another Old Testament prophet Isaiah tells us where he says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Our transgressions pierce God. And so he was pierced for our transgressions. And the New Testament gives the identity of he. The book of Hebrews is in talking about Jesus says, but when this priest had offered an all time for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. See if this sounds familiar. First, he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Jeremiah 31, 33 to 34 is quoted right here in Hebrews. Jesus' death on the cross is the fulfillment of what Jeremiah was talking about. When he said, God will no longer remember your sins. When Jesus died on the cross, God no longer remembered. In other words, our sins no longer prick and pierce God. They're no longer embedded nails that goaded and spurred God. Instead, as it says in Colossians, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He is taking it away, nailing it to the cross. God forgave our sins by nailing them to the cross. I find it really interesting that the Old Testament understanding of memory lies in the idea of being pricked by thorns. Because on the cross, Jesus wore a crown of them. He was literally being pricked by thorns. I find it really interesting that the Old Testament understanding of memory lies in the idea of being pierced. Because on the cross, Jesus had a spear stuck in his side. He was literally pierced. I find it really interesting that the Old Testament understanding of memory is like having nails embedded in you. Because Jesus literally had nails embedded in his hands and in his feet. God doesn't remember our sins because they were nailed on the cross with Jesus. Our sins no longer prick and pierce God. They prick and pierce the cross. We have been saved from our sins 
Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus is no longer on the cross, but our sins still are. That's good news. Good news. We have been saved from our sins because God doesn't remember them. And what God doesn't remember is what God doesn't take into account. So God doesn't remember our sins because they no longer impact him. They've lost their impact. They, our sins do not impact how God sees us. It's the part of forgiveness that I haven't completely figured out. Because when somebody wrongs me, it's really, really hard to not hold that against them. But that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness isn't pretending like the wrong didn't happen. It's not a literal forgetting. It's not letting the wrong impact my view or my relationship of the one who wronged me. And I haven't figured out how to do that yet completely. But God has. Our sins do not impact how God sees us. Our sins do not impact how God sees us. God does not punish us for our sins. He may discipline us, but discipline and punishment, that's, those are different things. Think about your kids. When we discipline our kids, why do we discipline them? Because we want them to make the most out of who they can be. And God disciplines us so that we can be what God created us to be. Our sins do not impact how God sees us. Our sins do not impact how God sees us. Our sins do not impact how God sees us. Jesus is risen, and our sins are firmly embedded on the cross. They no longer prick and pierce God. God doesn't remember them. Please pray with me. And Lord, we are so grateful and thankful for that truth that uh, you do not hold our rebellion and our transgressions against us. They have no impact on your relationship with us. And Lord, so we thank you for Jesus who was pierced for our sins. And Lord, we thank you that our sins are where they belong, on the cross. So Lord, I would ask that you'd help each and every one of us come to terms with that truth and live our lives to be what you've created us to be because we are free from the burden of sin. And it's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Receive God's blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.